On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of concern relating to Ohio State football after watching their performance against Maryland? Whether you're an Ohio State fan, a Michigan fan, a Penn State fan, or any type of college football fan, not only do we welcome you on this channel, but I encourage you to provide an answer to my question down in the comment section below. I thought that Ryan Day and Ohio State football would come off of their Week 5 bye with a strong performance against a 5-0 Maryland team. Ohio State was favored by 17 points, and about 80% of public bettors were picking Maryland to cover the spread. And Ohio State having a much better defense than Maryland, and also having more talent on the offensive side of the ball, home field advantage, and having a head coach who's won several ranked games in Ryan Day compared to a head coach in Mike Loxley, who, while he's done an excellent job building Maryland up as a program, and we'll talk more about my thoughts on Mike Loxley and why I gained more respect for him after this game, he still hasn't beaten a ranked opponent. In fact, Maryland, since joining the Big Ten, has not beaten a ranked Big Ten opponent. That's dating back all the way to 2014, by the way, when they joined the conference. I have a feeling that that losing streak will be broken sooner rather than later, but that's besides the point. Ohio State did not come out and dominate like I thought they would. My score prediction was 48-14, to and some people wisely told me that it was excessive. And indeed, my prediction was very excessive. Whereas I thought Ohio State was going to take only about a quarter to feel Maryland out before pulling away and blowing them out through a dominant defense that was adaptive and an offense that would feature a balanced attack, what ended up occurring was a three-quarter boxing match where Ohio State's superior talent finally allowed them to plug away and pull away. Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and... Before we resume this video, I want to encourage you to hit that big red subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you can get notified when I upload new content daily relating to Big Ten football, but also occasionally going outside of the Big Ten. But whether you're an Ohio State fan, a Maryland fan, a Big Ten fan, or a fan of college football, this is the best Big Ten football channel on YouTube. I'm trying to make it the best college football channel on YouTube. And with your help, we can make this community even better. And it's a great community as it stands right now. Correction, an elite community. Also like this video so we can get this video into the algorithm and comment your thoughts and analysis and your reaction relating to this game down below. And answer my question from earlier. What is your concern level relating to Ohio State football in terms and in the perspective of their goals for the season, which every year practically remain the same? Win the Big Ten, compete for a national title, and beat Michigan. What's your concern level on a scale of 1 to 10 relating to that? Lastly, check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. I uploaded my first video to Patreon last Friday talking about my potential power rating scale, which tries to predict games and outcomes. And it's a very interesting journey. And right now, it's still doing well. It actually went about 500 against the spread. 
and a little better than that in terms of overall game picks for Week 6. There will be a post about that on Patreon and also on YouTube tomorrow, on Monday. But to get back to the topic of this video, my concern level, I would say, is a 7 or an 8 in light of those goals of beating Michigan, winning the Big Ten, competing for a national title. A 9 or a 10, I'd say, is excessive. I think the defense showed that in the second half especially, they it turn up to a, a whole different level. And the secondary played well. There were times where there were some busted coverages or missed assignments and stuff that, you know, that happens to defenses. But Talia Tagovailoa had 41 passing attempts and not even 200 passing yards. He was averaging less than five yards per pass attempt. And he threw two interceptions, one of which was returned for six by Josh Proctor, who has just had a phenomenal phenomenal season after being benched last year and never returning to that starting role what he is doing right now at free safety is nothing short of an elite level of play very impressive ohio state's defense at times struggled against the run but maryland only ran for 106 yards and they averaged three yards per carry with a long rush of 17 ohio state's defense got two sacks five tackles for loss, and five passes defended. I don't think many of the concerns showed in this game can be attributed to the performance on the defensive side of the football. Now, obviously, Ohio State, with the talent they have on defense, can certainly get better. Ohio State on the season, I think, only has seven sacks through five games, but they do have a higher pressure rate than that, and they have limitless upside, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the ball with players like Mike Hall, who we saw in action plenty of times, his low point obviously being roughing the passer, a high point being bursting through Eric Harris in the middle of that Maryland offensive line, and, you know, sacking Talia Tagovailoa. Very impressive player. I think Mike Hall is one of the best defensive tackles in the country. He's one of the best defensive players in the Big Ten. And he has JT Tuimolau, who had one and a half sacks by his side. Jack Sawyer has been having an improved season. And Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Caden Curry, we saw action from him some. And also Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton at defensive tackle, along with Mike Hall. There are so many good players along that front seven. And then... In the secondary, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor, Denzel Burt got a big hit. And Gus Johnson called it like the one that he called with Denzel Ward when he played against Maryland. You got barbecue back there? I think you all know what I'm talking about. Um, The defense is good. In fact, that's an understatement. In my tier list of words that I use to describe teams, I'd say the defense is near elite to elite. It's that high in my book. I think Michigan's is better. I think Penn State's has a higher upside, but also a lower side to them that we haven't seen yet because they've played no competent offense. And I think there's a chance we'll see that against Ohio State. But to get to the reason why my concern level is at a 7 or an 8 is Ohio State's offense. 
Ohio State did not even rush for two yards per carry. Obviously, adjusting for sacks, Maryland got three sacks, but nonetheless, at least C.J. Stroud could run. Justin Fields was a phenomenal athlete. Ryan Day right now has his least athletic, least mobile quarterback ever, including the late Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace, including him. He could run. Urban Meyer and Ryan Day had to change the offense to fit Dwayne Haskins' needs and his style of play, but he was even more mobile than Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord has little to no mobility. He had a long scramble of one yard, and against Notre Dame, he had like a long scramble of five. He's faced some solid defenses, but he's not as much of an athletic quarterback as he is a pure pro-style passing quarterback. And to help him out, you need to give him a solid run game, and Ohio State has a great running back room. Now, mind you, they were without Travion Henderson, but nonetheless, they have Chip Trainum, they have Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden is in that running back room, Evan Pryor. They have studs, or future studs, in that running back room. And their leading rusher was Chip Trainum, who had 20 carries for 61 yards, with a long rush of 8. Ohio State's long rush of the day was 11. I look at that, and that's where the main concern comes from, because the only way Ohio State was able to get in rhythm was when they started passing a whole lot, and they decided, hey, we're still going to try and keep Maryland's defense honest and test them with the run, but we're really going to focus on the pass. And at the end of the day, that's what they did. Kyle McCord threw 29 times, made 19 completions, really his own improvement along with him getting in rhythm and gaining chemistry with Marvin Harrison Jr., his former high school wide receiver, yes, they did play at the same school, is what got Ohio State in a position to win and win big, win almost deceptively. They scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, 10 points in the third quarter, 10 points in the second quarter. They scored nothing in the first quarter. Maryland, meanwhile, their score progression was like this, 7 in quarter one, three in quarter two, and seven in quarter three. That's seven coming on the third quarter, the second half's opening drive. The run game, and also the offense now consistently, is starting out slow every game. The first three games, Indiana, Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, it started out slow. But you have a bye week. You got a big win against Notre Dame where the offense did show some promise. They were able to move it pretty well in between the 20s. Just got bogged down in the red zone, made some bad fourth down calls, and they could run it against Notre Dame with Henderson, but also a little bit with Chip Trainum. Now watching this game, Ohio State's offensive line lacks physicality. They lack toughness. They can't hold their own at the point of attack. They're constantly missing assignments. This is Maryland's defense, mind you. It's not a good defense. It's an average, above-average defense. And Ohio State couldn't run the ball in between the tackles, in between the guards, on the outside. They couldn't do anything in the run game. They were practically helpless. And that 8- and 11-yard run that I was talking about earlier, I'm pretty sure came at the end of the game when... Maryland's defense was finally beginning to break down. 
Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka, Cade Stover, and Julian Fleming carried this offense. And I say carried and leave out Kyle McCord because Kyle McCord against Maryland, he constantly underthrew his receivers, and his receivers like Marvin Harrison Jr. had to make plays, slow down for him, and he also made some very bad reads and inaccurate throws. You know who Kyle McCord reminded me of? And bear with me, this is an imperfect analogy. Kyle McCord reminded me of Cade McNamara when he was starting for Michigan in 2021. The high floor, but also in contrast to that high floor, the low ceiling, the lack of arm strength, the accuracy issues, especially when looking at the short and medium range passes. He seems to be more accurate on deep shots, in my mind a lot like Kate McNamara was, but then he didn't have the arm strength to complete that. Kyle McCord is very much, in my mind, a game-managing quarterback. He's intelligent. He doesn't make mistakes. He has pocket awareness, but he doesn't have high athleticism in especially his legs, but to a certain degree also his arm. No part of his throwing is totally complete. In the short and medium pass, he lacks accuracy, and he lacks that touch. And on deep shots, well, he can find receivers. He's also good at reading defenses, in my mind. But he doesn't have the arm strength. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Igbuka and Julian Fleming, on Fleming's longest reception of the day, Fleming had to slide, and I'm not kidding you here, turn his whole body to catch the football. The reason Kyle McCord is more statistically impressive than Cade McNamara was in 2021 is Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Igbuka, Julian Fleming, and you could name all of Ohio State's second-string wide receivers— all of them were more talented than Michigan's top wide receiver in 2021, who I believe was Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson because Ronnie Bell sadly tore his ACL in the opening game against Western Michigan. That's the difference. Kyle McCord right now has an 86.6 quarterback efficiency rating, eight passing touchdowns, one interception, 1,375 passing yards, and he also, from a passer rating angle, is impressive too. He has a 164 passer rating. I think a lot of those stats are inflated by his supporting cast. And unfortunately, he doesn't have a typical Ohio State supporting cast either. Because the offensive line, like I mentioned earlier, the physical toughness and the discipline, like staying on your assigned blocks, executing follow-through. None of that is there. It isn't. And Marvin Harrison Jr., the reason he's my player of the game is he accounted for, I think, over 80% of Kyle McCord's first 10 or 15 pass attempts. They were all targets to him. And at the end of the day, he had eight receptions for 163 yards and one touchdown. Most of those came earlier in the game, and then toward the end of the game, Igbuka got open, Stover got open, Fleming got open, McCord began hitting other receivers and, and tracking down other routes. And also Ohio State's run game opened up just a little bit more than it had earlier, 
because Maryland was turning over the football and Ohio State's defense was finally figuring out Maryland's offense, which meant that better defensive play means the offense gets more snaps for Ohio State, which consequentially means Maryland's defense continues to get worn down. And they, look, they eventually broke. The Cade Stover touchdown was the embodiment of Maryland's defensive spine being snapped under a hydraulic press. That's what that was. But Marvin Harrison Jr., this sounds insane to say, it's similar to Caleb Williams at USC, though, he can only get you so far. Marvin Harrison Jr. is an intelligent athlete. His father was an elite NFL wide receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be an elite NFL wide receiver. Intelligent player, big-time playmaker, one of the best overall players in college football. That's a very high honor. However, he can only get you so far. X-Factor players can only bring you so far. Because that offensive line and that run game and Kyle McCord's what I think are now obvious limitations, how is that going to work out against Penn State's defense when Chop Robinson and Adiza Isaac and Abdul Carter, Dominic DeLuca, Curtis Jacobs, when they come burrowing down and burrowing like, you know, like a mole does through the ground through Ohio State's offensive line. How is that going to work? Especially when Johnny Dixon, Kalen King, Keaton Ellis, and other NFL players are in Penn State's secondary. So while they're rushing the passer and stopping the run, it'll be much harder to abuse players like Marvin Harrison Jr. and their abilities in a Mecca Egg book. It'll be much harder to use those players as cheat codes against Penn State's defense than it was against Maryland's defense or Indiana's defense or even Notre Dame's defense. Penn State and Michigan, especially the latter, have better defenses than anyone Ohio State has faced all season long. And going back to the comparison between Kyle McCord and Cade McNamara, Kyle McCord, outside of wide receiver, has a similar supporting cast. Michigan in 2021 had great tight ends. Eric All, Luke Schoonmaker. Now, Cade Stover right now, I think, is a better tight end than any tight end Michigan had in 2021, but Michigan had greater depth. So when averaging for depth and individual player performance, similar. Michigan's offensive line in 2021 was By the end of the season, it was very overrated. They had one good performance against Ohio State, an elite performance against a defense that was a paper tiger. But all year, they struggled to get big plays and consistent gains on the ground in Big Ten play. It's a big part of the reason why Michigan lost to Michigan State. They couldn't run the football. Meanwhile, Kenneth Walker existed, and he could run on Michigan's defense. Penn State was able to run somewhat on Michigan's defense, and Michigan, until the end of the game, struggled to run on Penn State. Michigan, many times that season, went for it on fourth down, much like the 2022 and 2023 teams have, and they didn't have the same power attack on the interior of their offensive line. Consequentially, that scheme wasn't as successful, and Michigan, in getting Olu Oluwatimi in 2022, really helped their offensive line and their offense, period. Michigan's run game and offensive line play took a massive step forward from 21 to 2022. 
And I'm not saying that Michigan's offensive line in 2021 was average or above average or good. It was a great to near elite offensive line with elite potential. But near elite and great is a much different story compared to elite. And Ohio State's offensive line right now, regardless if it's center, guard, or tackle, is not elite. They're a good, great, with near-elite potential offensive line. Very similar to Michigan's in 2021. I'm going to say Michigan's in 2021, from my memory, looked and performed better than this offensive line has for now. Especially given the fact that Ohio State has Travion Henderson, they have Chip Trainum, they have Mayan Williams... They have a great running back room, one of the best running back rooms in the country. And yet because of extremely poor blocking, Maryland was also straight up pushing around Ohio State offensive linemen on Saturday. It didn't put any of the running backs, that situation in the trenches, in a good position. Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams are power backs, or they have power back abilities. And they balance that out in their own way with different skill sets. I love Chip Trainum. I think he's a beast of a player and a Swiss Army knife of a running back in a lot of ways with speed, power, fluidity, vision, etc. He was only averaging three yards per carry. This is a running back who falls forward, rarely gets tackled for loss, only averaging three yards per carry. A lot of those yards probably coming after contact as well. Ohio State's running backs got hit early, very early in the football game by Maryland's defense. And credit to Maryland's defense, seriously. They did a good job limiting Ohio State's offense and keeping it off schedule for much of the game. But when Ohio State's offense finally clicked, that was game over. And you saw that in the 17 points scored in the fourth quarter. Overall, I look at Ohio State's offense, and it's more so Ryan Day's side of the football than Jim Knowles' side of the football, which makes me personally concerned looking at the Buckeyes because they're going to have to run the football. If they want to win the Big Ten, beat Michigan, compete for a national championship, this offense, this team will not cut it offensively. And the defense, it isn't the number one defense in the nation. And the offense with Kyle McCord going back to that seems to maybe have a lower ceiling than I expected because quarterback is just that important. And the lack of arm strength, the accuracy issues, and more importantly than all of that, the offensive line, the way the offensive line looked, they cannot perform that way again. They can't. And I hope that Justin Fry and Ryan Day, and they probably are, are working through strategies to improve the offensive line drastically. McCord again was sacked three times. More of those were early and it took a while for McCord to get in rhythm. And he used Marvin Harrison Jr. to get in rhythm. And Marvin Harrison Jr. nearly had 200 receiving yards. He had a receiving touchdown, all in eight receptions. He's averaging 20 yards per catch. That's nuts. And through five games shows that that's consistent. Marvin Harrison Jr. is an elite player. Emeka Egbuka, when healthy, And right now, from what I know, he is. It was just a minor injury, and they decided to play it safe. Similar to Henderson as well. Henderson could have played against Maryland, but they wisely rested him. And they're going to need him, because I think Henderson, with his speed, 
might be able to compensate for some of this offensive line's ineptitude. And we'll talk about more of this when we discuss Ohio State in a few minutes, but we're going to bounce back to Maryland. We like to talk about the best at the end of the video. We like to talk about winners last, saving the best for last, and talking about losers first. But before I get to Maryland here, Ohio State's offensive line is extremely vulnerable, and having a player with speed and with finesse might be what is needed more than a powerful running back, like a Mayan Williams or a Chip Trainum. So this game's also changed my perspective on maybe how Ohio State needs to attack their run game, how they need to select which running back works best for them. But first and foremost, Maryland. 302 offensive yards, two touchdowns. Their trench play has improved significantly. There's no denying that. None. They were able to run in Ohio State and got over 100 yards rushing. They limited Ohio State to less than 100 yards rushing. And they sacked Kyle McCord three times. And there were many points where, I mean, look, what they did in the trenches on the defensive line and offensive line was just downright impressive. They were open, opening up hole after hole. They were blocking up Tommy Eichenberg nicely, Steel Chambers nicely, and often even great players like Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, G.T. Tuimolau, they weren't able to penetrate Maryland's offensive line. That is a legitimate offensive line led by center Eric Harris, who is one of the better centers in the Big Ten and consequentially has the potential to be one of the better centers in the nation. Also, Roman Hemby, Antoine Littleton, they did their part running the football. I was very impressed with Maryland's game plan, their execution. They had the better game plan. And in my mind, Mike Loxley in this game had the better coaching performance than Ryan Day did. I mean, the talent disadvantage, guys, is immeasurable between these two programs. Maryland's talent when looking at recruiting rankings, is falling year after year because they're no longer recruiting top 20, top 25 classes. At least in theory, their team talent is falling off. But I think they've upgraded at strength and conditioning. Mike Loxley talked about that at Big Ten Media Days. And I think he's prioritizing recruiting players who buy into his vision of Maryland rather than going after Chop Robinson or Terrence Lewis, highly touted recruits, who then transferred away for other opportunities or got in trouble. Talia Tagovailoa, Roman Hemby, Antoine Littleton, and then at receiving, Jayshon Jones, Caden Prather, Corey Deitches, Ty Felton. All of these players are selfless. They are contributors to a program and a team that has improved, frankly, every year. As long as Talia Tagovailoa is healthy, unlike last year, where I think his slow recovery from injury really, really limited the team's ceiling. As long as he's healthy, I think this team will be better than it was last year. And last year's squad before his injury and some other injuries that took over the program, that was a good team. That was a team that looked like a top 25 team. And I think Maryland, despite Ohio State playing worse than I anticipated and Ohio State exposing many issues that they have, I think Maryland played like a top 25 team. They led Ohio State at one point in the second half. It was an impressive performance, and I have to give props to Mike Loxley. What he's done with this program, 
with Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and even Rutgers, for example, and many other schools in the East Division being in his backyard, and ACC schools like Virginia, North Carolina, and Clemson dominating that recruiting area, and SEC schools as well. Um, Nichols Harbor, for example, he recruited. He got recruited by South Carolina and committed there. He was from the Maryland recruiting area, the DMV area, for example. That's a highly competitive area to recruit in and try and get players to buy into your program, especially when your program, going back to what I said earlier in the video, hasn't beaten a ranked Big Ten opponent since you joined the Big Ten Conference. But Mike Loxley's players buy into his vision for the program that he wants to build, and that's the sign of a good coach. Entering this game, I thought Mike Loxley was probably an average coach. He has made several questionable decisions when it comes to game management and also how the 2021 and 2022 seasons at Maryland were handled at times were just strange, very strange. In 2022, for example, Maryland, you know, rising very quickly and competing with Michigan, then having late season collapses. And in 2021, they looked impressive against bad teams, but horrendous against good teams. I had questions about Loxley, but is he a coaching genius? And we just haven't realized it yet because Maryland as a program has been so far behind the Michigan's, Penn State's, Ohio State's, and even Michigan State's and Wisconsin's of the world that we haven't seen it appear yet on the win-to-loss ratio, his coaching genius. Let me know what you think about that. Uh, but I was very impressed with him and his team and his roster. Talia Tagovailoa, I guess my one critique that I have would be his play under pressure. And by under pressure, I don't just mean literally, where Jack Sawyer or JT Tuimola or Ohio State's defensive line is getting in his face. I mean in big moments. In big moments, this is now a consistent theme. He turns the football over. He was 21 of 41 for 196 yards, he averaged 4.8 yards per pass attempt and under 10 yards per completion. He had one passing touchdown to Caden Prather, who's by far the best wide receiver for Maryland. Caden Prather had 49 recept um, receiving yards on three receptions for one receiving touchdown. And Talia Tagovailoa threw two interceptions, one right to Josh Proctor, and he threw another interception to Lathan Ransom. And Lathan Ransom returned that interception for 15 yards. In big games, Talia Tagvaloa cannot get it done. That's now a consistent theme that we have seen ever since the 2021 season where he had several opportunities against big-time Big Ten programs. I'm curious to see what happens to Maryland when Talia Tagvaloa leaves and who starts behind him, if he's better than Talia Tagvaloa or more likely possibility that he's worse because Talia Tagovailoa was a five-star out of high school. He's been with Mike Loxley for several years. Loxley has been essentially his sole developer outside of Nick Saban's Alabama in 2019 when he was there playing with his big brother Tua Tagovailoa, who right now is having success in the NFL. Maryland as a program is improving. Their defense looks better than it was last year. Maryland was able to start fast in this game, 
which is a good sign because against Towson, against Charlotte, and against Virginia, they started very slow. And Maryland, with their talent limitations, I think is going to need to start out fast if they want a chance to break into that next tier of Big Ten teams because there are so many Big Ten teams like Wisconsin, Penn State, we already talked about Ohio State. Those three teams, I think, are better than Maryland, for example. But if Maryland, let's say they play Penn State, Penn State travels to College Park before they host Michigan, if Maryland can get out to a fast start and gain a lead on some of these teams, that would probably be the best strategy for Mike Loxley to maximize his chances of pulling off his first win against a ranked Big Ten opponent. Penn State doesn't start quickly. Ohio State doesn't start quickly. Wisconsin doesn't. Rutgers does not start quickly either. The way Maryland is built right now is to start fast, to make consistent plays both in the run and the pass. They're not an extremely explosive offense, but they have the perimeter players, the running backs, and also the offensive line. I was very impressed with their offensive line to make consistent plays, short-medium runs, short-medium passes, good improvised play from the quarterback, not perfect. I already mentioned he fails under pressure, but we also have to praise him and give him credit where it's due. All those things tie into one of the Big Ten's better offenses right now, and they clearly have an underrated defense. Let's talk about Ohio State, the winners. 382 offensive yards, four touchdowns. And the offense did most of this in the second half of the game where they, when they began to click. In total, they scored 30 offensive points. Seven of them were defensive by Josh Proctor, who returned to pick six in the second quarter. 30 offensive points, three of them, three offensive points in total. And again, that's special teams, if you really want to boil it down, from kicker Jaden Fielding, was in the first half. Ohio State, defensively and also offensively, I think, is a second-half team. They play pretty slow, feeling out their opponent. and At times, it reminds me of Michigan from last year. And if Ohio State can become what Michigan football was last year, then the concern level drops to below a 5, because with their perimeter play, that would be... Let me tell you, that would, that would be scary. That wouldn't just be intimidating. That would be genuinely terrifying if they transformed into that type of football team with the talent coaching that they have. But to go back to what I said about the running back room, Henderson, despite the fact that he's a speed and space back, that he is a kind of a boomer bust running back, that might fit well with this offensive line. Because in the preseason and earlier this season, I thought that tackle was an issue, especially in run blocking and that guard and center were great. Well, with that, you run up the middle, and you go power, and Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams are perfectly suited for that. But now what we've seen through five games, and the Maryland game it was the most obvious, is that Henderson is the best back, because Henderson has that extra explosiveness and an ability to create impactful, momentous plays in space that he makes by himself. He creates those plays. The offensive line did not create Henderson's long run against Notre Dame. That was Marvin Harrison Jr. blocking and 
Travion Henderson getting to the outside and turning on the Jets. He's that type of running back. He has that insanely high ceiling and that speed, and I don't think the offensive line is capable of opening up enough holes this year for a Mayan Williams or a Chip Trainum to vastly succeed at running back. Maybe that's an overreaction to this game, but averaging 1.9 yards per carry is pathetic. Seriously, it's pathetic. Rutgers has a better defense than Maryland does. Penn State has a better defense than Maryland does. Wisconsin probably has a better defense than Maryland does. Michigan has the number one defense in America. I had that opinion entering week six, and after week six, ESPN's FPI says, we agree with you by efficiency metrics. That's nuts how many defenses that are superior to Maryland's Ohio State has yet to face. And without Travion Henderson, running the ball hurt Ohio State's offense. It put them off rhythm. It forced them into obvious passing downs. And Maryland's defense was smart enough to adapt. And they kept Ohio State's offense frustrated and out of rhythm for as long as they realistically could. It was impressive by Maryland and also disappointing for Ohio State. You could see it with Ryan Day. He was downright frustrated angry, almost, I would say, frustrated to tears in that first half. And it's understandable. I mean, the amount of pressure that's on him to win and to dominate is nuts. And if you're Ryan Day, you're one of the smartest, most cerebral head coaches in college football, you're a top 10 coach in my mind in college football right now. You're watching this team and you see what Michigan is doing to Nebraska and to Minnesota You'd think to yourself, you might have no chance. It's it, the, game, the game is in the big house. J.J. McCarthy right now has a ceiling that McCord doesn't seem to be able to touch, despite still having some concerns about his floor. Michigan's offensive line is coming into full form. Corum, Edwards, and Mullings. Michigan has a three-way punch, not just a two-man or two-way punch. They have a three-man punch. Mullings. Edwards, Corum, and J.J. McCarthy has also shown that he's improved as a scrambler. And Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson, great wide receivers. And for Michigan, their defense with Chris Jenkins, with Mason Graham, who's back, albeit has a club around one of his hands, uh, Braden McGregor, Josiah Stewart, Junior Colson, Keon Sab, who collected a pick six, Young player, great secondary player. Will Johnson's back in action. And that's just Michigan, who I think is the best team in college football right now. There's also Penn State, who I mentioned earlier. Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Johnny Dixon, Kalen King, Abdul Carter, Dominic DeLuca, Jordan Vandenberg, Hakeem Biaman. Their defense has an insanely high upside. And the way this offense looked... How is this offense going to score the necessary points to win against elite defenses? Because Penn State's defense, and I think especially Michigan's defense, since it's on the road and I think they're better coordinated, better coached, have more experience, those defenses will not put up with one-dimensional offenses. They will they will play tug-of-war with one-dimensional offenses' guts. That's what those defenses will do. And I'm confident Ryan Day is a head coach. 
I think having Henderson back is going to be huge. I do not expect the run game to be this consistently bad. But that was a red flag, especially since I was under the impression that this offensive line, because of Justin Fry and his history with power O-lines and also having Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams, I was under the impression that with Donovan Jackson, Matthew Jones, and also Carson Hinsman being an, an impressive freshman at center, that Ohio State could run the football, or at some point they would evolve into a team that could pound the rock and maybe run for 60 to 70% in a game and dominate an opponent. Entering this season, I thought that Ohio State would have the potential to do to Penn State what Michigan did to Penn State last year because they have the running backs. And Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson are very talented guards. I thought Hinsman was going to be a good center entering this year, and I think he is. And there's enough talent at receiver, blocking and receiving, to make defending any part of this offense hard if it's utilized properly and if it executes. But the offensive line is not executed well, and I think we're also seeing some of Greg Studwara's bad recruiting coming forward, and I've mentioned that several times in other videos. The offensive line has major issues. Kyle McCord, as I've mentioned earlier, he's a game manager, and unless the run game begins to develop and come forward, there are going to be major problems with this offense, even more than what we've already seen. There will be breakdowns. So having Henderson back, I think, is very critical. If he needs to be rested against Purdue, rest him, because he will be needed against Penn State. I think the speed that he has will be able to make the offensive line look better than it actually is. And the offensive line also has high-ceiling players. So don't be surprised if they improve or if they're motivated to get better after this game. I still think Ohio State is a top-10 team. In fact, I think they're even better than a top-10 team. But you'll see where I have them in my top-10 teams entering Week 7. So thank you all for watching this video. Remember to like, subscribe, click the notification bell, and also comment your thoughts on this game down below. I want to give a quick shout-out to my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American patron, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my All-Conference patrons. If you're new to the Patreon page, at the beginning of my preview and prediction segments, which is typically Tuesday, I update my Patreon list at the end at the end of the video I update it so if your name's not on here yet do not worry your support's appreciated it's always appreciated it makes me jump for joy it's never expected so thank you again I'm humbled by all the support that you guys give me both in the comment section and on Patreon I'll see you guys later bye bye